It is December. <laughs> yeah. Which means it is the season of many things, but one thing it is the season for is for watching Christmas movies. We all have our favorites. I seem to always make time for two particular movies every December, one being Elf and the other being Capra's It's a Wonderful Life, with that one being my particular favorite. Now, surely you all have seen that movie, and I'm not going to need to do a spoiler alert right now. In case you haven't seen it, you might want to close your ears. So this is a wonderful story. George Bailey has spent his entire life giving of himself to help people, the people of Bedford Falls. He has always longed to travel, but has never had the opportunity because he has given himself, devoted himself to the singular purpose of preventing grumpy, rich, old Mr. Potter from taking over the town. George watches his family and friends become success stories as he dutifully runs his, his family building and loan business, especially after his father dies, all that prevents him from living the life that he longs to live is that commitment to that business in his hometown, which was founded by his dad. But on Christmas Eve, George's uncle, Billy, loses the business's money. He makes a terrible mistake. George realizes all of, the, all of the consequences that can come from that, and he realizes that that old grumpy Mr. Potter may actually take over the town. Thinking that his wife and his children and others might actually now be better out or better off without him, he wonders if life is still worth living. In a critical moment, alone at a bar, he desperately prays, Dear Father in heaven, if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. What George asks for and urgently needs is a sign, a sign to point the way. You know the rest, an angel in training, Clarence, comes to earth to help George. Clarence shows what the world would have been like without him in it, which was not nearly as good. We continue our Advent journey with passages in Isaiah guiding our steps this Advent. Our scripture this morning involves a sign. Isaiah gives the community signs to look for so that they would know that God was doing something life-giving and powerful in their lives. God sent prophets to his people and the reason that he did this was because the prophet's job was to help us to imagine that it could be otherwise than it currently is. A little bit of continued context for this book. Isaiah chapter 6 begins in the year that King Uzziah dies. After his death, Uzziah's son Ahaz will now become king. It's the end of the good times and the beginning of the bad times. Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord ask, whom shall I send to, who, to whom Isaiah replies, Lord, here I am, send me. So Isaiah gets to be the prophet of a hard time, a dark time, when everything will collapse. In chapter 7, Isaiah will address King Ahaz of Judah. The prophet describes this country, the country of Judah, as a land of deep darkness. 
There was escalating regional tension. Enemies threatened the, the little land of Judah from three sides. It's a story of national crises and paralyzing fear. The people of God are in big trouble. We understand deep darkness. There are many within the covenant family currently carrying heavy burdens. Some in hospitals, others in their homes and in their hearts. People we love and care about are hurting. Not to mention escalating global tensions, partisan politics, and a divided nation. It is into the pain and the brokenness of the world that a message of hope is given. An embodied hope to which we must cling. Let's now turn our attention to the reading of today's scripture. We'll be reading the beginning and the end of today's lectionary reading from Isaiah chapter 11, God's word for us. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall, sh- shall grow excuse me, out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples, The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, you once spoke peace to the wind and the waves. Speak your shalom over our hearts, we pray. Amen. Scripture from Isaiah chapter 11 begins with the image of a shoot growing out of the stump of Jesse. To understand this passage, we first need to imagine a family tree. One of the best assignments I was given in seminary many years ago was a four-generation study of my family system. It was for a class uh, around family systems, uh, family therapy, pastoral counseling. It was an assignment that hopefully helped you to see more clearly the family that God had placed you in and to examine your health in that family system and to possibly see family patterns. I now have a long paper and several pages of genograms showing the good, the bad, and the ugly of my family. 
medical history, religious affiliation, vocations, family strife, it's all there on paper and it's quite interesting to look at actually on paper. The most out of the ordinary genogram uh, for my family the past four generations is the one on key events and tragedies. But for the most part, my middle-class family on paper looks pretty regular, whatever regular means for a family. And except for a one full bird army colonel and a gamekeeper at a castle in Scotland, it's a lot of ordinary people with pretty traditional jobs. Some Christian, others not, all living in community together. A generational study of the family system of Jesus would be more startling. The family tree of Christ always gives you hope, reminding us that God is at work through broken people. As Ann Voskamp writes, the coming of Christ was right through families of messed up monarchs and battling brothers, through affairs and adultery and more than a feud or two, through skeletons and closets and cheaters at tables. The Jesse tree, named after Jesse, the father of David, David to whom God promised that through his line and his sons and his family that there would be a reign that would know no end. And when David's sons and grandsons and great-grandsons turned away from God and loved the gifts more than the giver and the father, their kingdoms fell. It looked as if the whole family tree of Jesse had been chopped right off at the roots. But our covenant-making, covenant-keeping God vowed out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. From that dead, near lifeless stump will come a new descendant of David. This makes me think about the oak stump that I have in my backyard. It keeps coming back, pushing up new shoots, at the edge of the perimeter of that stump, making new life despite my best efforts to stop it. The prophet speaks of a coming leader who will usher in a new air of peace and there is no stopping that from happening. Christ's kingdom will be one of peace. Consider peace with me for a moment. Biblical peace is an experience bigger and beyond our present circumstances. Let me say that again. Biblical peace is an experience bigger and beyond our present circumstances. God's shalom means more than the absence of conflict or a positive state in my soul. It's not just about a feeling of peace. It means wholeness and completeness throughout all creation and an end to injustice. It's the whole idea of God making things right again. Our circumstances is not always as we would have them to be. That's true for some of you right now. But as Romans 5.1 explains, we are able to have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. It is all a work of grace. 
True shalom comes only from God, which then allows us to have the capacity to make peace with others and to make peace with ourselves. All because of the arrival of a baby whose birth we prepare to celebrate, who is himself peace. In the land of deep darkness, light shines. The light is named. A child will be born that will change everything. This is a, a passage brimming with Advent hope and expectation. When he comes, he will bring peace that is unimaginable. To help us to imagine it, <coughs> Isaiah draws a poetic word picture of the peaceable kingdom. Take a look with, you, with me, if you will, at this painting. It's part of the collection of the National Gallery of Art Museum in Washington, D.C. Title, it's titled The Peaceable Kingdom by 19th century American painter, a, a Quaker, Edward Hicks. That is inspired by this passage in Isaiah. In fact, Hicks was so taken by this vision of a peaceable kingdom that he drew 61 different paintings, uh, different interpretations of this scripture. The lion and the lamb are together. A child holds on to the lion, leading the way. You'll notice there down in the ravine, there are other people there in, in the painting as well. They are said to be the people of William Penn, the Quaker who helped start the New World Colony in Pennsylvania. The survival of the fittest will be replaced by predator and prey eating and sleeping together. Those who normally would destroy each other are friends. This kind of ridiculous only God can pull off. Wolves and lambs, leopards and goats, calves and lions, and a child safely playing near the home of a venomous snake. Isaiah foretold that the Messiah's reign would bring a world without worry. Picture a mother at perfect rest watching her children pray, play by the cobra's den and not leaping into action. But in our lived experience, the world doesn't look anything like this. How do we reconcile the promise of peaceful rest with the reality of a world racked with destruction and violence, of poison gas and ballistic missiles. The answer lies in the true tension between the now and the not yet. The kingdom of God is at hand. It has arrived, yet it is still coming. It is not yet here in all its fullness. But we sure do get glimpses of time to time of the inbreaking kingdom of God, which is so encouraging to our faith. Even now, there are tiny seeds of hope and life in places that look dead and discarded. This is how hope gets its start. It emerges in the most unexpected places. You may have heard the story of the Christmas truce of 1914. World War I had begun only a few months before, and the fighting on the Western Front between the Germans and the Allies was fierce. Hope for a quick war was gone. 
Both armies knew that they would be bitter enemies for years. A system of trenches separated the two sides with the area in between known as no man's land. But on Christmas Eve, an unofficial truce began. German soldiers on one side began singing Silent Night in German. And men on the other side of the Great Divide joined along in English. Soldiers who hours before had been attempting to kill one another were now together singing about the wonder of Christ's birth. As the night and the singing continued, the soldiers emerged courageously out of their trenches to join one another in, in that middle space, the no man's land, where they exchanged gifts, shared in burying the dead, and even played a little bit of soccer. In some places, the great war raged on. But all over the Western Front, thousands of soldiers laid down their weapons all night and the next day. So pervasive was the spirit of reconciliation along some portions of the Western Front that the truce continued all the way into the 26th with neither side willing to fire the first shot. But the war, of course, resumed. But even if for a brief and spontaneous moment, there was peace on earth and goodwill toward men. This event is seen as kind of a miracle, a rare moment of peace just a few months into a war that would eventually claim millions of lives, an astounding moment when soldiers laid down their weapons, stepped out of their trenches and mingled with their enemies and friends, I wonder, can you imagine how this might be lived out in your personal story, in your personal life, or in the public sphere? For you to lay down your weapons, to step out of your trench, and to mingle with your adversary as a way of pursuing peace and bearing witness to a God who still is at work in that our lives are being remade. I had a courtside seat years ago to a Christmas truce closer to home. Quite a few years ago, my family vacationed in San Francisco to celebrate my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. For the most part, we cohabitated quite well that week until the last night. I actually missed what happened, but something was carelessly said under the guise of humor between my mom and my brother-in-law, and feelings were hurt. Feelings were actually quite hurt, I learned later. The next morning, we all parted quickly to three different cities and homes and hurriedly said goodbye. I never thought of another thing of it, actually, I, me personally, until six months later at Christmas time when I learned that there indeed was still debris. As often happens, what started as something small had now festered and grown for six months into something bigger than it ever was. I've shared with you before that my family has a New Year's Eve tradition. 
We go to a restaurant and after ordering, while awaiting our meal, we share with one another, one at a time, around the table, as we reflect upon the past year, highs and lows, we'll do this again in four weeks. Each New Year's Eve, in our own different ways, we marvel at how God has provided for us in unmistakable, unmistakable ways, not always in the ways we hoped for, but with a very real sense that we are being cared for by another. We help each other remember that. It's a family tradition we look forward to. It's a spiritual practice for us, really, although none of us would describe it in that way. There was a moment during that New Year's Eve tradition that same year, after enjoying a delicious meal and good conversation, when several of us, coincidentally, all needed to go to the restroom at the same time. Except for my mom and my brother-in-law. Well, and my then 12-year-old nephew, Timmy, who, now that the meal was over, was allowed to play with his Nintendo DS. He was thoroughly engrossed, barely mouth-breathing, and, and really a non-factor at the end of the table. So mom and Tim, who are sitting across from one another, are left at the table. And by the time we all return, they are looking at one another, holding hands, having tears, having just offered and received forgiveness. An unreconciled relationship no longer robbing them of peace. Both would say it was the greatest gift that they received that Christmas. I wonder what is robbing you of peace? And what might the Lord want to speak into as you consider that? The stubborn green shoot that keeps coming back to life because of the work of God. These candles are a declaration and they are an invitation. We can live in hope and peace because of Emmanuel, God with us, and it is something that we participate in as co-laborers with God. The candle of peace burns in places of division and conflict, in those places where we find it difficult to believe that peace is even possible. It is in those difficult places that we are called to be workers of peace, bearers of shalom, agents of healing, in our families, in this congregation, in our schools, in our workplaces, in wherever God sends us. Each day of Advent, we actively wait. We wait knowing that the remaking of everything has begun. And we participate in God's work of healing divisions. Friends, this is the season of the Advent of God. Open your hearts to the miracle of peace. Signs will be given. The barren will birth. Long-hoped-for dreams will become reality. Peace will be our way of life. Nothing will be impossible for God. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh God, we would ask and pray that your mysterious peace would rest upon us and upon those we love and upon the whole world. 
Fill us with hope for a future of peace built on justice for all and show us how we might participate in that work. Come in power, Lord Jesus, and bless us with your peace. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the strong name of Jesus Christ, our source of hope and peace. Come and surprise us. We wait in expectation. Amen.